We're continuing our series. Uh, one, one, real life, real people, real church. Sorry, I always pick on you guys. I shouldn't do that, right? Thank you. I can't help myself, though. <laughs> and this morning, I'm going to attempt something. I'm going to try to weave a tapestry. Any sewers and weavers in here? Good, so you won't know that I'm not doing it right. <laughs> so, but that is my goal. I want to I weave a tapestry, and I am, I'm not a, I don't sew, and I certainly can't weave. So uh, this, this is a challenge to, to do. But here's my tapestry. Here's what I'm going to try to weave together. I'm going to try to weave together the idea of that being one as the Father and Son are one. I want to weave that into our real-life circumstances. Now, my material for this is scripture. There's a lot of scripture this morning because as, as believers, we need to rely on the word of God. And so there's a lot of scripture. And the thread, I pray and have been praying, is provided by the Holy Spirit, that the, the Holy Spirit is the one who illuminates and who brings things together and who opens us to hear the things that we need to be heard. I can tell you as, as a preacher that there are times when folks will come up to me and say, man, when you said this, it was the most awesome thing. And I'll be like, I didn't say that. You heard that, and that's what God can do through the power of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is the thread that's going to move, hopefully, they've been praying, pray with me, that, that will move in the midst of this message this morning. See, each of us in this room, we live in the real world. We live in the real world, and pastors like me sometimes forget, and we can some present, a, not a Poly, Pollyanna-ish kind of thing, but in some ways it is, that it's easy to live a Christian life outside of here, and let me tell you, straight up, it's not. It's not always easy. It's awesome because God is with us, but easy is not a word that I would tag to, to live in this life that we're called to live. But I want to present this idea of one as a father and son into our real life circumstances this morning. So um, my goal is to present it more realistically maybe than, than, uh, than I, even me, I, I try not to do to, to present a Pollyannish view, but I do sometimes, I think. So let me start with the groundwork, right? Because we've got to lay the groundwork in order to get going. So that takes us to last week. Last week in John 17, chapter 20, it reads, I'm praying not only for them, but also for those who will believe in me because of them and their witness about me. See, Jesus is praying about for, to, for his disciples, the, the, the 11 that were, that were with him. 12 still at this point. He hadn't yet lost Judas. He knew Judas was going, but he hadn't yet lost him. So, so he's praying for them, but he's also praying for us. And that's powerful when we begin to, to grab hold of that, that, that Jesus, right before he's going, right before he's arrested, right before he's going to sacrifice and, and present himself on the cross as, as the payment for, for us, he's praying for you and I in the midst of what all he must have been thinking. So I'm praying not only for them, but also for those who will believe in me because of them and their witness about me. The goal is for all of them to become one heart and mind, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. So they might be one heart and mind in us. Then the world, if you do this, then the world might believe that you, in fact, sent me. The same glory you gave me, I give to them. So they'll be as unified and together as we are I in them and you in me. Then they'll be mature in this oneness and give the godless world evidence that you've sent me and loved them in the same way you loved me. 
That's the groundwork. That's the where kind of kind of what we need to grab hold of. See, if we're going to get to where it is that God wants us to go, this goal, right? The goal is for all of them to become one heart and mind, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, so they might be one heart and mind with us. If we're going to get to that goal, then we better figure out where we start. Any of y'all started a training program or, or, or gone, well, you guys just went to Texas. <laughs> you got to know where you start from, right? You got to know your beginning point. If you're going to train to run a marathon, as we've talked about it, if you're going to become a, a, an excellent musician, then you know where you start from because that's important in the journey. To start any journey, it's necessary to know that beginning point. And our beginning point in this following Christ place is to recognize that we need God before we even get started. We need God's help before we can even take that first step. If it's all about me, it isn't about him. I need God's help. So let's start this morning from Ephesians chapter 2. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, but God is so rich in mercy And he loves us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you have been saved. God is rich in his mercy towards us. God loves us so much that he sent his son, which leads to another verse, right? We we mentioned this a couple couple of weeks back. And I always tag them together because, I, you know, everybody knows John 3.16, but without 3.17, it's missing something. So, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not, will not perish but have eternal life. He did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but that through him the world might be saved. Too many folks out there think God's a condemning God. God didn't send Jesus to condemn us. He sent, us, sent him to save us. God is a saving God. And that's a huge, hugely important piece to this. God sent his son. He loves us so much. He loves you so much. He even loves me. That's just crazy. But he does. He loves me. He knows me, and he loves me anyway. It's just amazing. And he loves you so much. See, our starting point is that we could not do it without God. We could not do it without God. But you know what's really cool? God already knew that. God's like, they can't do it without me. Go ahead, Jesus. Head on down. See, God came down off the mountaintop, right? Other religions say, work your way up. And our God says they can't climb that high. So he sends Jesus down. We just came out of Christmas, right? Just came out of Advent. So he sends Jesus because we can't do it without him. And that's where we start. I can't. But you know who can? He can, and he did. And that's the beauty of our faith, right? I can't. You can't. And and you could really get, it's like, oh, no, I can't. But he did it. He did it. Is that cool? He he loves you. He sent his son. It's going to require something of us. It's going to require this little thing called faith, which is not always a little thing, but going to require faith. And so in Romans 5, we have, therefore, since we've been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Christ our Lord has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials For we know that they help us develop endurance. 
And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. When we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But catch this. God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. You know what that means? It means you don't get better and come. Right? A lot of people won't go to church because they feel like, they, they, you know, I'll, I'll get there as soon as I get better, as soon as I get this issue lined out or this issue lined out. Tell you what, Jesus says, just come. Come on. You're good. Show up. Bring your stuff with you. Bring your baggage. Bring whatever, whatever it is. And, and, and celebrate recovery, we call it hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Bring your hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Bring them. Bring them to me. You don't have to get, ready, get better to come. It's not a, church is not a warehouse for saints, right? Hospital for sinners. Come as you are. Because when you encounter the living God, you cannot stay the same. You won't. That's, I guess, my warning to you. If you do show up, get ready. Because God's going to show up in your life. And that's where the transformation comes. Now, one of the things that we have a tendency to do in the church, and I'm a, as guilty as the next person of this, I've been a Christian since I was 16. That means I've been a Christian for 15 years. <laughs> I've been a Christian for, <laughs> okay, I know I'm in church. I apologize. I <laughs> repent. I've been a Christian for 42 years, right? So I've been a Christian for 42 years. And over that course of the, from the time that I accepted Christ in the bleachers at a basketball game in high school to this point, I hope to hopefully have grown and learned, and I'm not the same person that I was there than I am now. But one of the things that we have a tendency, and, and I have a tendency to do, when somebody new to the faith comes in, you know what I expect of them? To be where I am. You should know this, and you should be, and this is my picture for you, and this is who you should be. And I forget that I didn't get from there to here without time and work and experience and all the things that come with it. And that happens in the church far too often, that we look at a picture of what we think a Christian is, and we try to make somebody brand new fit our picture, and maybe God's got a different idea in mind. Now, there's some stuff that's, that's solid within it. You know, we pursue holiness, and, you know, we avoid sin, and we you know, repent when we fail. But, but who I am is not who you need to be, which is probably a good thing. You can, you can be grateful for that, you know, and vice versa. You can be really grateful for that. <laughs> which leads me to Ephesians chapter 2. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for it. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for all the good things we have done, so none can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. I know this says workmanship. A lot, this is a New Living Translation, and I just love the, I, that we are God's masterpiece. 
You know, we are God's workmanship. Either will work. But we are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. He has a plan for your life to do these good things that he ha- has already laid out in front of us. We get to choose whether we're going to follow that path. But God gives us that. And you are God's. I love this idea of masterpiece. Think about that. You're created in the image of who? The image of God. You are, have the image. You have the divine spark within you. You are created in the image of God. You're God's handiwork. You're God's masterpiece. When He made you, He didn't make a mistake. He made you to be who you are, but to be who you are for Him. But but be who you are. God created you with intent and purpose. He has a plan for your life. Let that sink in. You are God's masterpiece. How many people feel like a masterpiece when they get up and look in the mirror? But you know what? You're still God's masterpiece. We have put different parameters around stuff. God looks at you and goes, man, I did good. I did good with you. I made Vicki Nichols. You're God's masterpiece. And you are here. You are the carriers You're ambassadors for Christ, but you're the carriers of the light of Christ to a dark world. Gary preached on the light a a couple of weeks back. And you carry this light with you everywhere that you go. When Christ moves in, darkness moves out. Darkness wants to come back in. Just know that going in. The battle's real. But the, the light pushes the darkness out. If you're in a dark place and you flip a light switch, what happens? Darkness goes away. The light is more powerful than the dark. Uh, John chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. You know who he's talking about? Jesus, yes. Good job. Uh, (laughs) I thought more people would get it. Yeah, we're coming out of Christmas season and, and Advent, and Jesus came, he came down. He is the light. He is the one. This is all about the light that he brings. This is about the love that he brings. And love is one of the critical pieces. If we're going to be one as a father and son are one, we better grab hold of this idea of love because it's critical. And I don't mean love like the world loves. It's a different kind of love. It's a deeper love. It's a harder love. I'm going to read a couple of passages. One is from the Gospel of John. One's from 1 John. Try and pay attention to how many times. This is just two short passages in Scripture. Try to, try to pay attention to how many times love comes up. It might come up more than once. John 15, 9 through 13, and then I'm going to go to 17. It says, I have loved even as the Father loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things that you will be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. There seems to be a connection with love and joy. Just saying, grab hold of that. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. And at the end of this short passage, he says, this is my command. Love each other. 
love each other. 1 John 4, 7 through 19. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love and does, does not know God, for God is love. Grab that one. That's a big one. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. Hallelujah. Glory to God. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us so much, we surely ought to love each other. I think he's saying love each other. Guys, I think that we ought to love each other. I'm just guessing. I didn't count. I, I was going to count, and then I chose not to. But <laughs> how many so far? 20, so 1920. I mean, we're up there, and I ain't done. <laughs> no one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us, and his love is brought to full expression in us, and God has given us his spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. Furthermore, we have seen with our own eyes and now testify that the Father sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. All who declare that Jesus is the Son of God, hear this, it, all who declare Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them and they live in God. We know how much God loves us and we have put our trust in his Love. God is love. And all, you know, I, I think they're trying to get across a message here. I'm just guessing. All who live in love live in God, and God lives in them. And as we live in God, our love grows more perfect. So we will not be afraid in the day of judgment. We can face him with confidence because we live like Jesus here in this world. Such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we're afraid, it's for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. We love each other because he loved us first. We love each other because he loved us first. He loves you. And this morning I'm realizing with a greater depth that he loves me too. To be one as the Father and the Son are one. It begins with this idea of love from a place of humility and gratitude. See, all of these passages, this tapestry that I've been trying to weave together through Scripture, praying that the Holy Spirit will move in and through it, is of no use if we aren't able to recognize the humility of our God. Philippians 2, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ? Any comfort from His love? Any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish, trying to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take interest in others. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had, that though he was God. 
He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a servant and a slave and was born as a human being. He did not have to do that. He chose it. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Because of that, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue would declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, that humility is a trait not often enough attributed to God. I know that we're supposed to be humble, right? And, I, and we get that part. God became human. He humbled himself. And if we're ever going to figure out how to be one as the Father and Son are one, then we've got to get used to the idea of love, humility, and service being three of the absolutely most critical elements to what it means to follow Jesus. I look at the church, and thus at myself, because the church is not the building, amen? And I see that too often I think that I am the arbiter and the judge, particularly of others' behavior. And I see that. And I see too often we're, we're far too willing to place our judgment above grace. Now, I want grace, and I want all the grace that God wants to give to me. And I, I, I just give me more grace, and I'll accept that. But am I as willing, and are we as willing to extend that same grace that we receive to others in this life? Are we willing to extend grace to those that we don't agree with? Are we willing to extend grace to those who live differently than we do? Are, are we willing to extend grace to those who, who look differently than we do? Are we willing to take this grace that's been given to us and give it freely to others? Only you can answer that. You, you and God wrestle. One as the Father and Son are one. In real life. In real life means that we become somehow willing to meet others where they are and not where we would have them to be, right? I'm 42 years Christian. Newcomer doesn't need to be where I am, need to be where they are, and I have to trust that God's going to move them on their path and utilize me in whatever way he chooses to do. Meet them where they are. It means showing the same grace to them that was shown to us, this undeserved grace, this unmerited, or this unmerited favor. We didn't earn grace. God gave it to us. It means loving those who we may deem unlovable. It means that coworker of yours who just makes you crazy, right? You got one. If you work in a workplace, you got a coworker who just makes you crazy. Maybe that's the one that needs love the most. That love that God gave to us, maybe that's the love that we give to them. That weird kid at school. You know. Which one? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, which one of those? The one that's by himself or herself off to the side. They might be the one who needs somebody, you, to just show them love, 
that same love that has been shown to you. It means making an intentional effort to put yourself in proximity and closeness to those who are not like you. And here's a rough one, because it means loving your family, even the ones that make you so mad you can spit, right? You know who they are. All of us have those folks in our family that you're just like, okay, they're over there. I'm going to be over here, you know. But we got to figure out how to love them. The secret is that through the power of the Holy Spirit, it's how it happens. What that is, if we're able to do this, if one is a father and son or one in real life, what that is is to turn away from my rights because I have my rights. My, I, have a, I have some family members that, that you know, are difficult. And, and I have a right, if I want to, to, to kind of just set them aside because what they do is not okay. But just because I have that right doesn't mean I ought to do that because if I'll turn from that to the place where God is right, then maybe I can show love to someone that is somewhat unlovable at work or at home or at school. One is the father and son are one in real life. But hear this, because this is, this is important too. We are real people too. We are real people too. And that means that you are not going to get it just right every time. And you're going to make some judgments about people. You're going to not love people. You're going to make mistakes and all of that. We're called to pursue teleos, right? For the strength is made perfect in our weakness. Teleos, perfect, which is really completeness and maturity. So we're in pursuit of that, but we're not going to get it every time. In fact, one of the most arrogant things that we can do is to think that we're going to be the sinless one. Who was the sinless one? Christ. Do, is he our model? Absolutely. Are we going to get there? Not in this lifetime, right? Yeah. <laughs> we pursue sinlessness, right? We pursue sinlessness, certainly. We repent when we fail and fall. But we are not God. And that means we're all going to have struggles in this place. It also means that all that stuff I said about other people, right, that you need to show grace, you need to show love, you need to be intentional, you need to be intentionally loving, all of it, it applies in your relationship to yourself. Some of us are really good at giving grace to others and terrible at giving grace to ourselves. We need to be able to do that. Real people make mistakes. Real people can be difficult. At first I said will be difficult, but I decided to soften it just a minute. You know, real people can be difficult. Real people have ups and downs. Real life with real people is not clean. In fact, it's quite messy. Being one as the Father and the Son are one does not mean there is no mess. It means the opposite of that. It means engagement. And if you're going to engage with real people in real life, you know what you're going to have? mess. You're going to have issues, and you're going to have problems, and those things are going to happen. But, but hear this, too. It means that when we falter, we can turn back to God and lean on Him, because that's, that's the strength that we have. It doesn't come from us. It comes from Him through the Holy Spirit. Even Jesus, in that moment in the garden, He didn't sin. What He did was He had a thought that, you know, this is going to be hard, and if it's possible, you know, it'd be okay if you didn't make me go to the cross. Or didn't make me, that, that, that if you took this away from me, He didn't, that's a 
very poor turn of phrase. But how did he finish it? He's like, but whatever, I'm going to do what you want me to do. Mike's translation. He said, whatever. But he, he went to the cross because that was the Father's will. And that's what we need to be about. Where is God? How do we put God first? Humility, love, and service are three of the primary components to being one as the Father and Son are one. And, and it's part of our goal to have that permeate our lives. You know, if, if we do that, if we're able to do that, we might just live fully into a very, very powerful concept. And that concept is that we can be a group of imperfect people who follow Jesus. And if we do that, we're going to see God glorified And see people's lives change because God will use us to do that. Embrace your imperfection. Don't live in it, okay? You know the difference? It's okay to be imperfect. We all are. But strive to become who God created you to be. And if such a church would do those things, I think it would be a force for Jesus be a force for Jesus inside the walls, it'd be a force for Jesus in our community, it'd probably be a force for Jesus in the world. If you'll bow with me, Father, thank you for who you are. I pray, Lord, that if there are any who do not know you, that they would come, that they would grab me and say, look, I want to know more about this Jesus that you're talking about. I want to experience this love in a new and a fresh way. And Lord, as we prepare to close this service, Lord, may we be reminded that you have given us a commission to go into this world and to live out this faith that we have. Thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.